Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after a crazy couple of weeks of all kinds of different issues, we are happy to be here recording the pilot episode of Star Trek Picard Remembrance. Woo woo. Yeah, we're finally here. Thank you all for hanging in and helping us make this podcast a reality and eventually it happened so here we are yeah absolutely well and i do want to take the time to call out that we are recording this on election day in 2020 so by the time this podcast comes out on friday it is possible we will have a new president or not Mm -hmm. and it's also possible we might not know Yes, all the above is very possible. So we just hope that you all are taking care of yourself, making sure that you do a lot of self-care this week. We know that it's really stressful and we're hoping that this podcast can help you distract from the world for a bit, regardless of what's going on. Absolutely. And I also hope that you have voted and I hope that you have chosen to have your voice be heard in this election. That's what Picard would do. (laughs) Picard Okay, so Ashlyn, I would like to hear a bit of a backstory about how Star Trek Picard came into this world. Sure. This show was created by a couple of people, Akiva Goldsmith, Michael Shaban, Christian Beyer, and Alex Kurtzman. And a lot of these people are similar minds behind Star Trek Discovery. And so you're going to see a lot of overlap between these people. We have executive producers Eugene Roddenberry and Trevor Roth. And you'll notice that, of course, we have a Roddenberry here. I don't think I mentioned it in the Star Trek Discovery podcast, but he was also included in helping to produce that show. And I just think it is cool that we have a Roddenberry in the Star Trek business, especially after Mm -hmm. Major Barrett passed away. She was such an important part. It's just cool to have the blood back again. Absolutely. Yeah, he also has created a company called Roddenberry Entertainment, and that Mm -hmm. is being used primarily for Star Trek. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That's awesome. The way that Picard came about was Alex Kurtzman always dreamed of working with Patrick Stewart because Picard was his favorite captain growing up. And so he wrote a script that was all for Patrick Stewart. And Patrick Stewart is very classy about how he decides what roles to do and what roles not to do. And Mm -hmm. he's very open-minded if he thinks that there's more of the character to tell. But in this case, he has said long ago after Star Trek Nemesis premiered that the story of Picard was done and there was no more stories to tell. But after he read the initial scripts that Alex Kurtman had brought him, He agreed to do it with some caveats. He really wanted the show to be more realistic and really wanted it to stand out against the other shows, even against other Star Trek shows, to be something that was totally different and very memorable. He also wanted the show that was more character-driven and slower. This reminds me a little bit of Deep Space Nine, you know, where it's all about the characters and not so much about some crazy plot that's happening. Of course, we do have a crazy plot in this as well, but you know, we'll talk about later that this show is definitely very character-based. So 
initially, and something that I think would just have been super, super cool, initially they were going to make a short trek, which if you haven't seen those before, they're also on CBS All Access, or if you're not in the US, they're on Netflix as well. They're just short little Star Trek episodes, like maybe seven minutes long. Some of them are Mm -hmm. maybe up to 15 or 20 minutes long. And they're just kind of slice of life episodes. They're really beautiful, really artistic. And I think they're essential viewing, honestly, for both Star Trek Discovery and Picard. They're absolutely very awesome. But there was initially plans to kind of help debut Star Trek Picard. So Nichelle Nichols was going to be playing Ahura in this short trek, and she was going to be in a hospital bed. And a young John Luke Picard was going to come in and ask her something about the Borg. And that's how this show was going to start. But instead, for whatever reason, they didn't end up doing that. And they wrote and produced Children of Mars, that short track, which I mm-hmm. think is definitely something you should see before you see Picard. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very good companion piece to Picard. It's just a beautifully done short track. It's probably my favorite one. Yeah, I think it's my favorite as well. But I really am sad that they didn't go with the path of mm-hmm. having Nichelle Nichols return because she has not returned in any cameo role ever, which is ridiculous. Like yeah. she deserves the world and she deserves to be in every single series of Star Trek. I also just want to throw out there that if anyone wants to create a Ahura-based action-adventure Star Trek franchise, <laughs> I am here for it. And yep. I will send you any money I have to help you make it. <laughs> same. (laughs) Let's get going, people. (laughs) Patrick Stewart agreed to do the show as long as these few conditions were satisfied. And so he actually helped with some of the rewrites of the scripts and he helped with the story. And so we have Star Trek Picard premiering in January 23rd of 2020, which I might say the best parts of 2020 so far has been the premiere of Picard and the third season of Discovery so far. Yeah, (laughs) correct. (laughs) Definitely the heights of 2020. So this first episode is called Remembrance, and it is directed by Hanela M. Culpepper, who you might know, she also directed episodes of Parenthood, 90210, Criminal Minds. And she is actually the first female director to launch a new franchise in Star Trek history. And she's also black. So we have wow. a black female launching a new That's Star Trek amazing. series. Yeah. And also, why didn't that happen sooner? Question yeah. mark. Yeah, I agree. I also just want to point out that this role of Patrick Stewart kind of playing an older Picard is very similar to what he did when he starred in the movie Logan, which of Mm. course features old man Logan and old man Professor Xavier. And he's kind of losing it in that movie as Professor X. But I noticed that there were a lot of similarities between the two. And I think it's cool that Patrick Stewart is able to bring back these beloved characters and bring them into a new generation of fans. I just love that we have the ability to put out these types of stories because now, as we talked about with Discovery, there's no Paramount executives or white men in tall buildings (laughs) trying to stop you from creating a show because if you have the money, you can put it on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime, like whatever you want, CBS All Access. And so if you have the money behind it, you can create any story that you want. I think it is really cool that things like Star Wars are branching out into shows like The Mandalorian or movies like Solo, where you don't have to focus on the main characters anymore. You can 
can branch out and expand the lives of other people. And I think that's what Picard is about. That's why it's such a different show compared to everything else we have in the Star Trek franchise thus far. Absolutely, Ashlyn. And I think that's a really good point. And something else that I wanted to talk about was the fact that Picard and things like Logan enter the world we're living in now and create a more realistic show about what's going on now. And yes, of course, these shows and movies are set in universes that don't actually exist, but they also allow for us to enter a reality that feels closer to our own. And I think that's something that the Picard writers did really well with this show is make it feel very relatable, just like they did with Discovery. I definitely agree. And I think that's definitely a strength of the show. We have a lot of cursing in this, which is like controversial. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people uh, like our aunt hate, 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 hate that they swear so much in this show. But I don't mind it. And I think it does bring some realism. And it also reminds us that especially later in the show, we're on the fringes of Star Trek. This is a continuation of a timeline that we have never explored before. We're meeting characters we've never met before. We're discovering new aspects of Starfleet that we've never discovered before. In every sense of Star Trek going beyond, that that's exactly what we're doing with Picard. So I think with that, let's go back and let's start this episode by going back in time into something that we're incredibly familiar with, which is the Enterprise D. Yes, exactly. I think that that is a brilliant place to start. But before we begin that, Ashlyn, I would like you to explain as poorly as possible the episode Remembrance from Star Trek Picard. All Good Things Part 1. Yes! (laughs) That's a very good one. Okay, Okay. Rihanna, explain this episode as poorly as possible. Picard is back with all your favorite themes like corruption and death. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Let's go back. Let's talk about all good things. And I also just want to say just right off the bat that this episode will indeed spoil, obviously, the pilot of Star Trek Picard. We might even spoil the end of the series as well as we will be spoiling Star Trek Nemesis and the ending of The Next Generation. Yeah, so just beware. If you haven't seen any of that, I actually don't know why you would watch Picard if you haven't seen those. (laughs) So Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, let's dive in. Um, Ashlyn, what was your first impression of this opening scene where we see the Enterprise, we see Data, we see them playing poker? What did you feel about all that? I feel so sad that The Next Generation was not on TV still. (laughs) Yes. I feel love for Patrick Stewart and that we see Brent Spiner again. And I also think that the effects are quite, quite beautiful. The shots of them just going through space and they're going by Mars and just how crisp and clear the images are. I'm really struck by that. And I'm also struck by how many metaphors and subtle meanings we get just from watching these first five minutes. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much going on packed into this. I really enjoyed the fact that we got to see Brent Spiner on screen again as Data, even though he's not very willing to be Data anymore. I found that really lovely that Picard was having these dreams, but also very sad because it shows the passing of time. And that line where he says, I don't want the game to end, it just breaks my heart because this 
beginning is so entrenched in nostalgia and it's like dripping with it, you know? And you can tell that Picard is still living in the past and he's still yearning for something that's gone. And a part of that is Data and a part of that is the life that he had on the Enterprise because we know that from seeing all good things that Picard is never really content just staying at home on the vineyard. That's not the life that he wants to live. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And we just know that from knowing Picard. Whenever he stands still too long, he gets antsy. And so we're going to be seeing in this episode a Picard who has not moved in 20 years. Yes, exactly. And another thing that I found heartbreaking about this intro is that when they pass by Mars and we start to learn about the destruction of Mars, it's kind of like his past is bleeding into his future. So his two traumas are being sort of reconciled within this dream and being forced upon him. There's this really great book called The Last Best Hope by Una McCormack that goes over what happened when Picard was doing the Romulan relief effort and it covers the gap of the years we've been missing from the show and before Picard and after the Next Generation movie Nemesis. And part of that was the attack on Mars, which like we talked about is the short trek, The Children of Mars also covers a bit. But the attack was done by synthetics. And so the fact that Picard is then talking to Data first, who is a synthetic, who is an android, and then they pass Mars and Mars is being attacked by the synthetics. The Utopia Planitia shipyards are being attacked where it happened to occur that those were where the ships were being made for the Romulan relief effort. And so everything is so intrinsically tied together in this opening of Picard's past and his different facets of his past and how they both inform different types of trauma and different guilt that he still holds. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I'm so glad you talked about this book because I have not read it. And so I'm glad we have two different minds since you (laughs) now have all the answers since you've read this book. (laughs) I wanted to also mention that I thought during this scene, Picard has a line where Data raises him in poker and Picard says to call, he's like, Data, that's everything I have. And I thought it was also meaningful and it just shows us very transparently where Picard is at this moment. All he has are these memories of Data and these terrible memories of Mars. And that's it. That's all he has. And that's what he's been living with for the past 20 years. And so I thought it was a beautiful way to incorporate it into this dream. Absolutely. I'm really glad you brought that up. As well as I found it interesting because like, I don't think that in real life, Data or Picard ever just played poker by themselves. Picard did join poker game, you know, at the end of the series, but I didn't see anywhere really in the series that Data and Picard were very close. And so I think that also is sort of his guilt about Data sacrificing his life for him. And you know how when someone's gone, you tend to highlight all of their amazing parts and it tends to become sort of a memorial. So I think that that's kind of the grief process that Picard is going through with this. That's such a beautiful point because most of my memories of Picard and Data hanging out in The Next Generation are Picard interrupting Data and saying, that's enough Data. Because Data's (laughs) like listing every recipe in the replicators or something. Um, (laughs) And so I never noticed that they hung out one-on-one a lot. I always thought that like... Picard was closer with Crusher or with Riker than with Data. Data was always tighter with Geordi. And I'm pretty sad we did not get a Geordi cameo. (laughs) 
Yeah, same. Especially because yeah. um, for those who have read the book, he actually has a fairly large part oh, in the book. That makes sense. Um, which is amazing because he works at Utopia Planitia Shipyard. He wasn't there the day of the attack, but he was like running the entire site on Mars. And so I think it would have been really amazing to have LeVar Burton come back, but you know, maybe he was busy or couldn't put it into his schedule or something. Well, and I think they also were a little bit hesitant to bring back too much of the Next Generation cast Mm -hmm. because they didn't want to rely on them for this show. Yeah, that's a very good point. They yeah. do have a whole new set of cast members here besides the one Brent Spiner cameo and then, of course, Patrick Stewart. <laughs> so that makes sense. Now that we're here, let's talk about the scene with Dodge and the two Romulans mm-hmm. who are living with Picard. What do you think about those and what do you think about the scene that we see with Dodge? Yeah, so I think that this starts to set up the plot. It starts to set up the characters and where we're at and where Picard's at. And so we're back at his vineyard, just like we've seen his vineyard before in some Next Generation episodes. But now it seems like he's here to stay and it seems like he's hiding out in this place because after resigning from Starfleet, he sort of retreated back into this life that people kept trying to force on him all these years. A life that he was fighting his entire life, fighting his father from it and fighting his brother from it. And so it must be extremely difficult to be back here kind of in this defeated way. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it is very hard to see him in this position. But that's why the entrance of Dodge is so important because it starts to give him purpose again and she gives him purpose because she's coming to him with really no idea why. She sees him on the TV at his interview, very luckily right after she gets activated. Mm -hmm. And there's that whole scene. But I think that her showing up is sort of this way for him to get back into the world, get into something that he can help people. Because this is what Picard is all about. He will always be there to assist people. And that's why he has these Romulans helping him too. But I think that this also shows the passage of time, that there's Romulans living with him, that they're awesome, they're kind, you know, they're not like the sort of stereotypical Romulans you would imagine. They're allowing for the Romulan race in this show to have more depth, which I really appreciated because that's never really been something that's been covered very much. Like we've seen Klingons grow and evolve from original series, but we didn't really get a lot of Romulan growth until now. And I really appreciated this aspect of the show. And it also shows all the amazing things Picard did before the show even started with the relief effort and his tenacity and his willingness to keep going to save lives because that's what Picard has always been about. Definitely. And I think that, like you mentioned, they create these characters to be very, very likable. So for me, when I'm first seeing the scene of Dodge and her boyfriend in her apartment, Mm -hmm. I am really putting myself in Dodge's shoes because this happens to me all the time. I'm sitting in my apartment with my boyfriend. We're having a glass of wine and we're talking about our day, celebrating our Mm -hmm. accomplishments. And this is something that all of us can relate to. And especially I'm also in, you know, mid twenties, trying to get my career going. And so Dodge is seemingly in the same scenario. And so her situation really speaks to me. And then especially when these assassins come in and kill her boyfriend in front of her, that is incredibly visceral and damaging and hard to watch. And I'm immediately drawn to Dodge and I feel so sympathetic towards her. And so then when we meet her and her and Picard have this conversation together where she feels safe with him and he is having an open mind 
with everything that she's telling him. I think it's a really beautiful relationship that is created just in a couple of minutes. And he trusts her implicitly. It says a lot about who Picard is as a person that still after all these years, he's willing to trust someone when they're in trouble, just like what you were talking about earlier, Rihanna. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I think that his trust is really incredible. His capacity to listen and not judge. And that's what made him such a good point person to lead the Romulan relief effort because he's not going to go in with these xenophobic views of, oh, every Romulan's terrible. Every Romulan is an enemy, like most of Starfleet's attitude towards this relief effort. And so I think that's what really makes him stand out. It's just incredible. And I do want to also shout out Issa Bronis for her amazing performance as both Dodge and Soji. But Dodge, you know, I think that she is very different than Soji, as we'll see, you know, as the series goes on. And unfortunately, we don't get to know Dodge for very long. But I think that the moments we do get with her and with Issa Bronis's uh, performance in this episode is really amazing. Like, I even noticed subtle things I was really looking for at this episode, but like, I can kind of tell when she has moments of android like behavior, even though, of course, she's a very sophisticated model and her blinking even seems very particular and her head tilts. You know, we'll see it later on in the series as we learn more, but I, I just feel like she did a great job of straddling that line between I have to play a android who thinks that they're human. You know, it's such an interesting dichotomy that she has to mess with. I think throughout this episode, she just demonstrates her incredible range of acting ability. I totally agree. And thank you for that shout out because she's a <laughs> tremendous actor. I love that you were looking for the data-isms because I was not at all. I didn't even think about that. Because I was not hey, at there you go. Oh, sorry. Because I was not at all. I was not even thinking about that. Mm -hmm. I have only seen this episode one other time before, and that was when it debuted. And so it was kind of a treat to me to see this in January and then watch it again now for this podcast because I had a very similar view, but it was great to see it kind of with fresh eyes again. I also just had some questions before we dive deeper into the plot that happens mm -hmm. on Mars and what happens with the synthetics. I want you to explain a little bit more because I believe it was in that book that you mentioned so in the movie Star Trek 2009, the whole reason that Spock comes back in time and creates this parallel universe is because he's trying to save the Romulan Empire from their sun exploding and going Nova. We see Spock has the red matter, which is an incredibly powerful science term yeah. <laughs> that will supposedly swallow the sun going nova and stop the planet from being destroyed, I believe. Yeah, it creates a black hole in the center of whatever you launch it into. And so it then like sucks into itself and then somehow disappears and doesn't create a black hole in space. It's very confusing, but you know, science. <laughs> Convenient science babble. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when we see Spock Prime in 2009, that's why he was sucked back in time. And so at that point in 2009, that was the latest that we've seen of this timeline. And so it is so cool that they chose to take that timeline and run with it here in Picard because I think it is absolutely fascinating mm -hmm. to know this little tidbit and to know that the two best Star Trek characters, Spock and Picard, were working together for this higher cause to try to save a species that has been universally hated for centuries. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Honestly, it was a very short scene in the book, but Una McCormack does it so well where I could really feel like Spock was talking to Picard and that moment was pretty epic. It was a very short, like five minute scene total. I mean, I listened to it on audio, so I'm sure the reading times are around the similar, but anyway, this scene in the book takes place before Picard resigns and before Starfleet decides to pull out of the relief effort, but it's not too far before. And so it's when things are starting to deteriorate with the United Federation of Planets, other members of close worlds who efforts are being put towards the Romulans and not towards, you know, their own crops and their farming and different things. There's so many political parts moving in this book that it's fascinating to be able to see every single moving part and then Spock's part come in. Of course, because we can assume and we know the Vulcans, we know that they are working always in tandem with the humans and with their part of the Federation. And so it's really cool to be able to see these huge figures come together and talk about it. But I do wish there was more of that in the book because I agree that this dynamic of taking something that was a jumping off point in Star Trek 2009 and making it the full plot and showing the repercussions of it in this prime timeline and not the alternate one that was created because of the black hole. Yeah, so it's a really good scene and a great book. And I think it does so well of demonstrating all of the different moving parts of politics and how even Starfleet, who's this sort of quote unquote idealistic group, but it shows the sort of fractures within Starfleet because so many people are still xenophobic when it comes to Romulans because they're the enemy and they have been for years and people can't let go of that. And I think that it is a great reflection on today's political climate and on how racism plays such a deep and devastating role in policy and in different governments. So I think, and that's why Picard, during the scene, I was wondering now if we could launch into the scene about the interview. Yes. Because this sort of ties right in to Picard in this scene says that Starfleet wasn't Starfleet anymore. And this is why he left. This is why he resigned because Starfleet wasn't itself. And this interviewer is, you know, acting pretty xenophobic and saying that these Romulans have been the enemy and why should we quote unquote waste our time on them when if it was Andor or let's say like Kronos, like Klingon homeworld that was gonna be in the blast zone of the supernova, I think the attitudes would have been very different. And so it shows that Starfleet is still clinging on to these xenophobic ideals and that Picard is not allowing for that. I also think it's because as far as I know, there are no Romulans serving in Starfleet. Right. And so I think Starfleet is very opposed to helping people who are not quote unquote helping them. And so it shows a certain childishness about the way that Starfleet is run, that they do not have the kindness or compassion to help people who are different from them. I mean, Romulus itself is kind of a North Korea state (laughs) planet where the inhabitants, from what I remember, they don't, they didn't even know that their son was going to go Nova. Correct. Yeah. It was this whole campaign of misinformation and the Tal Shiar was keeping it from the citizens to like, quote unquote, not worry them. But at the same time, I agree. It's this totalitarian government that is intent on ruling with an iron fist (laughs) with the Romulans. And so the corruption from Romulus, it does start there, but then it sort of stems out and makes other people feel like they can't 
trust them and it creates this whole cycle. I think it is very short-sighted on the side of Starfleet to not try and help them no matter what. And I just think it's so irresponsible of them. But the more that the series is progressing and we see how corrupt it is, in a way, it seems like Starfleet is trying to take over the universe. And that is not why it was founded. It was to be a peaceful collaboration of all types of species. But I think its refusal to help Romulus shows something very sinister and sick inside Starfleet that says, if you don't join us, then we will literally let you die. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that is some of the brilliance of the show Picard and sort of stuff they were starting to hint at in Discovery that really, besides, let's say, Deep Space Nine has not really touched before. And Deep Space Nine still was sort of supporting Starfleet in this way because it was war of the Dominion and the Cardassians. Whereas this time, we're finally seeing the cracks in Starfleet and we're seeing that it's no longer this idealistic Roddenberry Starfleet that we started out with, which is brilliant. Yeah. And this was also something I forgot to mention that Patrick Stewart was really pushing for in this new series was that he knew And I think we can all agree that the past couple years worldwide has not been the best for us humans. Yeah. Uh, With the U.S. basically splitting itself in half, being so torn apart by politics, as well as Brexit, with the U.K. leaving the European Union. Mm -hmm. There are so many tyrannical leaders in India and China and North Korea Mm -hmm. and countless other nations, Russia leaders across the world and people are in crisis. And now with the beginning of the pandemic, it has just been chaos for the past couple years. And it's only gotten worse. And I know that Patrick Stewart, it was very important to him that the show kind of reflected these hard times, but was able to find and create a bright light for us. And this is something that we talked about when we recorded our Enterprise pilot, but Star Trek often appears whenever we need it, (laughs) whenever we're at our darkest. And right after 9-11, Enterprise was created and debuted. Now, you know, at our possibly darkest that we faced in a long, long time, we have these new shows coming out and it is really heartening to know that yeah. there is some positivity and there is some hope. And I think it is cool. As hard as it is to see Starfleet so cracked and broken, it is nice to see that we're not alone and that even this fictional ideal universe is trying to grow and change just like we are trying to grow and change. Yes, Ashlyn, thank you for saying that. And something that also, Will Wheaton does this ready room thing after you should check it out if you have cbs all access because he does one after every episode of picard where he has different cast members come on and in the very last episode of picard of the season he had patrick stewart come on and patrick stewart said the world needs star trek right now and i just thought that was a really beautiful way of saying that exactly what ashlyn said it's just a really great time to have hope again and that's what we really desperately need and picard gives us that 
Yeah. I also just want to mention that, of course, the media has not changed at all. So <laughs> when Picard is having this interview with this person, she has been asked not to talk about the reason why he left Starfleet. And she does anyway, because yeah. the media is always going to be the media. And yep. I think it's also just definitely commentary on how poisonous the media is. <laughs> I think one of my favorite moments is actually this interview and also the scene where Picard ends up just giving his good old Picard speech about honor. I love the moment when we see Loris and Jaban hold hands during that scene and they kind of grasp each other. I thought it was so cool because you know that everyone is racist towards them and yeah. they've suffered through so much since their planet was destroyed. I just can't even imagine what they've been through. And so to see someone who has so much privilege like Picard and so much power stand up to Starfleet and to the media and say, this is wrong. Yes, uh, it's very powerful to me and it must mean so much to them. And I just love seeing that scene. And it's a reminder to me just how much it matters when you speak out against injustices and how much good it can do. Thank you, Ashlyn. Wow, that was beautiful. I'm like tearing <laughs> up a little. <laughs> I just I really enjoyed that scene. Something I wanted to discuss, we talked a bit about Dodge and her intro into this show. Something yeah. that I found really wonderful and striking in these first couple minutes of their meeting is when they're talking late in the evening and she shows him her necklace and they're talking about what their next moves are, all of this. And in this sense, they both feel like strangers to themselves. You know, Dodge has just been activated. She doesn't know what's going on. Her boyfriend's dead. People are out for her. We don't know then, but we know now that Tal Shiar are out searching for her. Yeah. And Picard too feels so lost and he feels like a stranger to himself. And in that moment, I feel this deep kinship between the two of them. And it's just such a powerful moment that I thought really needed to be recognized. Rihanna. Oh my God. I love that. I love that. And it also makes me think about the scene. So Picard goes to San Francisco, which I always love to see the Bay. And then Dodge ends up meeting him there because she's able to hack into like the world <laughs> sensors <laughs> or something and find Picard. He has a line, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, where he's like, this is your wake-up call Yes, to, to Dodge. And she's crying, and she has no idea what's going on, just like you so beautifully just put it, Rihanna. And I, I think that scene really cements it that, yes, she's being activated, that she's an android, and she's finding out truths about herself. And this is exactly what's happening with Picard. He is yeah. waking up, and he's finding, I can no longer sit by like this and let these things happen. I, too, have to leave my house. I have have to go into the thick of the action and get some things done. Yes. And something I wanted to add on to that is that I think also it is his time to finally give something back to Data to sort of assuage the guilt mm. that he's felt about Data sacrificing his life. And because we find out that this is virtually Data's daughter through essentially Data's neural net that Soji and Dodge were created. 
And so I think that this is Picard's opportunity to help out and sort of reach beyond this veil to Data to help his daughter. And it's just a beautiful way of Picard showing his loyalty to the people who he cares about and extending that hand in friendship. It's just something that Picard has always done so beautifully. And I love that he didn't lose those values even after everything he went through. Yes, yes. I couldn't have said it better myself. I totally agree with you. So why didn't we talk about Lull in this episode? Why was she never brought up ever? Because Data already created a daughter. And I think Soji and Dodge look kind of like Lull. They both have the short hair, similar complexions. Mm -hmm. I just was really struck. And I'm pretty sure Data's painting, which he created in 2369, so this is around season five or six of The Next Generation, I'm pretty sure it was created after Lowell's image. And that was in the episode, The Offspring, which is a fantastic episode. Oh, good. One of my favorites. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I am mad that they didn't even talk about her. The only way I can think is why they didn't is because they're trying not to do too many callbacks from the series in case they're trying to bring in new fans. But like, I don't know. I feel like they could have even done just a tiny reference when Picard is in the archives and he's looking at all of his things from his ship. You know, there could have been some sort of reference to Lull or something there. But also, I found it very tragic that in this scene, all of his artifacts are tucked away from the Enterprise, which shows that he can't really stand the sight of having them around because it reminds him too much of his true home and of something that is in the past and is lost. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating that he had not brought those artifacts back to the chateau because that's where he's been living for this whole time. And I can only think that maybe he's ashamed of them or Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to remember them or his friends because how often does he see Worf or Geordi or Riker Mm -hmm. or anybody else these days? Yeah. And I feel like he's just trying to hide himself away. He's trying Mm -hmm. to block out all of those good memories that he had because of the guilt, like you've mentioned, and just how painful it is to recall them. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And something else, since we're talking about pain, I thought something else that was pretty sad was the fact that when he comes up to Dodge and they're talking and he's like, I think you're an android. And also, can we just say how smart Picard is? He's really good at putting two and two together. So they have this conversation and he makes this promise to her. He says, I promise I will take care of you and nothing will happen to you. And then she dies in this episode, not like 10 minutes later. And that's got to be just gut-wrenching for Picard. I think that that's really tough to make this promise to someone and then not be able to keep it. And not of his, you know, I mean, he tried everything he could, but these circumstances were out of his control. And that makes it harder because I feel like so much of Picard's life is out of his control at this moment. And so he's trying desperately to cling on to the things that are in his control. He was trying to cling on. Oh, I knew you were going to make that joke. We gotta have some lighthearted parts of this episode, otherwise, yeah, too sad. For Um, real. Uh, so, so that's it. That's your only joke, that's everyone. It. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Yes, that is tragic. Totally tragic. But I think he needed that push in order to continue solving this mystery because Picard has always been something of a detective. And I think he's honoring <laughs> that side of himself. And you see how smart he is. Like you mentioned, he figures out all of this with very little facts at his disposal. But he's so good at seeing what matters from his years and years and years of experience as captain. And 
he's faced all sorts of crazy anomalies that something like Data having a daughter seems relatively simple. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Like He's like, this does not seem very difficult to figure yeah. out. <laughs> well, and I also just want to bring up how hilarious it was that we see Patrick Stewart running up those stairs oh. and huffing and puffing. Um, <laughs> because in the show, Picard is never the one down on the planet running from the villains. That's never what he's doing. No. He always sent Riker to do that. Picard's just like, call me if you have any problems, Will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but here he goes. He's like running up these steps, yeah. trying to fight the Tashi are like dang go off yeah and so I love that we see just full Picard without anyone behind him he has no crew to help him suss out this mystery he just has himself yeah and I think it's a cool way to set up this pilot that everything around him is dark and horrible and falling apart but here's Picard finally leaving his time of pain to go out and make a difference yeah, exactly. And I was just so impressed with the writing of this episode because it's only what, like 46 minutes long, but it feels like it's split into three parts and it's so tight and so consistent that it does sort of leave us in this jumping off point. And I just want to applaud the writers for their consistency and the tightness of this writing because it does allow for movement going forward. I just think it's really beautifully done. I totally agree. I am never bored at all in this pilot. No, never. Not at all. I'm yeah. Excited the entire time. There's no time I'm thinking, oh, when are these weird villains going to end? Or when is this weird plot going to end? Like I've thought in maybe like the Voyager pilot or the Enterprise pilot. Enterprise. Yeah. I'm so invested in these characters right away. And I totally agree. The writing is fantastic. I wanted to talk about the scene Picard says to Dodge at one point, I haven't been living. I've been waiting to die. Mm. And I think that just sums up everything we need to know about Picard. And we know that he's finally ready to change. Yeah. And so he goes to the Daystrom Institute. Yes. And the Daystrom Institute has been a core part of all of Star Trek for a really, really long time. There's a original series episode, The Ultimate Computer. We actually see Richard Daystrom, who mm -hmm. founded the Institute. And he is in that episode because he wants to install a computer on the Enterprise that is basically an early form of AI. Mm. And it ends up taking over the ship and going crazy, <laughs> uh, you know, because it's the original series. Yeah. And that's a classic theme. But <laughs> we see several instances of the Daystrom Institute. In The Next Generation, we meet Leah Brahms, who mm. was a part of the Daystrom Institute. So they've been mentioned in several series and so it is really cool to finally come here and see it in person even Bruce Maddox, Maddox was in the episode Measure of a Man where he tried to take custody of Data and he is of course working for the Institute and so again I'm just applauding that Star Trek and these creators and these writers continue to take tiny details from previous series these little crumbs and then create a whole wonderful pie out of them Yes, yeah, the consistency is really phenomenal. <laughs> I love a good pie. <laughs> I love a good Star Trek pie. Um, 
Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to spend too much time on her, but I do want to talk a bit about Agnes Girardi in this episode. And we actually, I learned a lot more. Yeah, I agree with that, boo. (laughs) I learned a lot more about her in the book than we ever get to really see of her in the series, which is something that kind of frustrates me about the difference between the book and the series is that I feel like some of the book fills in more of the gaps that I wish were in the series. Like we get to learn way more about Rafi and why like she calls Picard JL, you know, all this stuff. We won't get into that now, but like (laughs) it makes way more sense in the book. But anyway, so Agnes has this relationship with Bruce Maddox, which we learn about a little bit later on in the series. But essentially she was helping Bruce work on these sophisticated data-like synthetic life forms before their work was diverted into making synths for the Utopia Planitia shipyard on Mars, which is where the synths attacked. And it talked about in the book and a bit in the series where Bruce Maddox was still trying to work on the Dodge and Soji synthetic life from Data's neural net while he was mass producing these synths for Mars. And that's perhaps why the synths ended up killing everyone and going crazy on Mars was because his focus wasn't fully on the synths. And so that's why he fled, you know, pretty much after the synth ban and because he was getting so much flack and and he had so much guilt surrounding that, but he also never let go of this dream. Anyway, Bruce doesn't really show up in this episode, but Agnes does. And I just wish I liked her more. I wish that she had more depth beyond being a significant other of Bruce Maddox. And she's clearly very smart. She's very intelligent. She works at Daystrom. She helped Bruce with the synth lives. She was actually recruited right from the academy. She was in his program. She was a student of his. So they have this big connection, but it's just frustrating to me because I feel like, first of all, she can do way better than Bruce Maddox (laughs) because he's kind of a a mean guy. (laughs) That's the PG version of whatever words Rihanna was thinking. Yes, I was trying to think of words that were curse words. It took me like a minute. (laughs) He's just- Mean guy. He's a mean guy and I just am not a fan of him. But anyway, I wish I liked Agnes more because I- love a good female in STEM. I love seeing strong women who are smart, but I just feel like she was trying to be the awkwardness of Tilly that was charming and it just wasn't. She's just not Tilly and she will never be Tilly. And I don't like that they tried to sort of replicate that same attitude to make her like quote unquote relatable. But anyway, what did you feel about Agnes, Ashlyn? Yeah, she's the only character I'm kind of lukewarm on. Mm -hmm. I didn't mind her in this episode so much. And I think because I've seen the series, I'm a little more used to her now. But I remember the first time I saw it, just having kind of no opinion of her. And I think I stand by that. She is a good plot device to give us knowledge. And she's helpful in what she does to help Picard. I also think it's important in this scene that we talk about B4. Because she pulls him out of a drawer. And I know (laughs) that this had been a lot of fan gossip was that perhaps Brent Spiner was returning as B4 and maybe they had downloaded his memory into B4 and Data was alive perhaps. But no, Brent Spiner does not want to return and so (laughs) B4 is dead. And I also think it's interesting that there's no talk of lore in this episode. And I'm going to spoil it. In this whole series, there's no lore. So where is lore? 
I know. Seriously. We just sort of lost track of him. And it's just bizarre that they never tied up that loose end. Yeah. And I think it's so important. And so I think that's probably my only problem with this episode is there are just a couple of obvious things from the next generation that they don't bring up when it's so important to the plot. Like when you have the Captain Picard Day sign in the archives and you have Worf's Batleth and all of the (laughs) really important small, small details from the next generation showing up in this episode, but you don't talk about things like lore or lull in Data's past. It just seems like it's a purposeful choice to leave them out. And I'm wondering why. I'm wondering if that's next season's plot or if they, like you mentioned earlier, if they just didn't want to go too deep into all of the haha into the lore of next generation um yeah again that's my only criticism of this episode is just like where is he yes (laughs) where is lore where is lol (laughs) like where are the l's (laughs) yeah where are my l's i mean lore honestly would love this plot he would love to be a part of this crazy starfleet and i think he would probably help the romulans (laughs) oh yeah he's just chaotic enough exactly yeah okay so dodge is dead rest in peace dodge (laughs) so then we see yeah i'm so sad she is one of many in the hall of fame of characters who were incredible and only lasted an episode you know it just that's a star trek consistency that is always breaks my heart her and Um, Edith keeler hold hands in heaven oh yeah exactly oh rest in peace but yeah so then we see soji and we get introduced to a whole new twin (laughs) and i again just want to say isa bronis did a great job of making her feel different enough she has different ambitions different dreams she's not going to daystrom she is on this reclamated board cube helping passport reassimilate into life again and i think that it's really cool also to see that a android and a sophisticated synth because she's so well done has this capacity to care and has this emotional ability i gotta shout out bruce maddox for his work even though he's a (laughs) mean guy (laughs) but anyway so We see this scene and then we see what my Star Trek friends lovingly like to call him the hot Romulan, which I do not agree. (laughs) Um, Narek come in here. And yeah, what do you think about Narek, Ashlyn? Well, he's not hot, number one. And I'll fight anyone who thinks he is. Um, (laughs) No, I just think he's slimy. He is totally trying to manipulate her. The only things coming out of his mouth are compliments. Or pitying himself for things that are happening. And that's exactly how you get nice girls to go out with you. You say, oh, I love your dress. You look so good today. Also, my brother's dead and I (laughs) want to talk about it with you over lunch sometime. And and he's all like, you deal with broken people all day. You probably don't want to deal with me. Like all of this manipulative stuff that shows like, man, he has had some good training. And I will say this is not true of every Romulan, but it is very intrinsic in the culture that Romulans are very good at subterfuge and lying is sort of the backbone of Romulan society. Seldom do you see Romulans be truthful with one another. And if they are, they're perceived as weak or like, well, what are you trying to hide if you're being truthful? So, you know, there's a lot of suspicion surrounding Romulan culture. And so this is about traditional Romulan culture. This is not the same in some upcoming episodes of Picard, but on Romulus itself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. On the home world, especially. Yeah. Anyway, I just think that he's nasty and like he knows how to manipulate and it's pretty scary watching him do it because the first time I was like, oh, maybe we're going to meet like another nice Romulan, cool, like that's great. And then he's just slimy. 
I think they totally set you up for that because you've met such nice Romulans at Picard's house. Yeah. You think, oh, maybe this is going well. But also we have learned that it is the Romulans who have killed Dodge. And so, yeah. you know, like the stereotype is still there that all Romulans are bad. But of <laughs> course, you know, we don't want to be xenophobic to Romulans. No. I just think it's fascinating and so bold. And what an amazing cliffhanger to have her on this Borg cube. Yeah. We have so many questions because never in our lives, well, never in Star Trek history has anyone managed to capture a Borg cube. Right. I don't think ever. It's it's either destroy or they got away. They're never able to disable the whole cube and then work on turning the Borgs back into humans. I think that is so cool. And I think this whole episode nicely introduces all the key players that we're going to need for our story, mm-hmm. gives them a little history, gives them a little intrigue, and then leaves us with this huge cliffhanger and a thousand questions onto what's coming next. Yeah, exactly. And something else I want to applaud this show for is taking species that we have universally hated before and putting them in a different light. Like we get to see the Borg in a different light. We get to see the Romulans in a different light. And I just think it's genius to subvert our expectations. And we get to see Starfleet in a different and darker light. So I just think that this show is doing so well at branching off from what we assume Star Trek is because Star Trek is ever growing and ever developing into these new facets. And Picard is one of the leading examples of that. Yeah, I just think it's beautiful that our world is changing and Star Trek is changing, but yeah. it can still grow and change with us. Yes. And I, you said it very beautifully, Rhiannon, and I don't want to try and re-say it. I, I <laughs> definitely okay. agree with you. And I think that it is changing into an animated way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. We will talk about next week with the pilot of Star Trek Lower Decks. I hope you all liked my very smooth transition. <laughs> that was amazing. It was really, really, really well done. <laughs> yeah, can you believe that we're here? We are almost done with our pilot series. Wow, it is amazing. The pilot of Lower Decks we will be watching next week, Second Contact. So we can't wait to have Second Contact with this show. Actually, it'll be my first contact with this show because I have not seen it yet. I've been waiting for the pod to watch Lower Decks. Me too. Yeah, Rhiannon and I have both been abstaining, sadly, (laughs) from Lower Decks. And we are so excited to jump into it and have a fresh take just like the rest of the world with Lower Decks. Yeah, and we will also be reviewing all of the rest of the Lower Decks episodes on our Patreon, so you can go and pay any dollar amount a month to go and listen to those, so we're very excited to be doing that after, and don't worry, our first pilot episode will be free to the public. It will, yes, and if you want to hear the rest of those episodes, you're going to go to patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast, and it's going to be a blast. I am so excited to discuss all these episodes with you rihanna same same i'm pumped yes well and i'm excited because after our series ends next week we will be talking about our new upcoming series which is all about family we will be talking about family in the original series next generation we will be going through all of them and talking about the different dynamics that and complicated relationships that Mm. family creates (laughs) 
Absolutely. You know, and we're just excited to launch into this new theme, into this new series of our podcast that's ever growing. And we are so grateful to all of you who have taken the time to listen to our first series. And we can't believe that we're concluding our pilot series next week with Lower Decks. That's crazy. It blows my mind. And I know I've said it a lot, but truly recording this podcast is my favorite part of every week. And it's something that doesn't feel like work to me. It's something that is a work of the heart. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Rihanna and I have been watching Star Trek together for over 10 years now, I think since 2008. And so we've been talking about Star Trek for so long. And so for her and I to be such close sisters and friends to talk about something that's so dear to our hearts is really amazing. And we thank you as listeners for taking the time out of your day to listen to us talk about our favorite thing. Yeah, you all are truly amazing. And we just want to say a Jalan True to you. Jalan True to us all. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week as we review the pilot episode of the new Lower Deck series, Second Contact. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under the name The Dura Sisters Podcast. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us five stars and give us a good comment. If you would like to become a patron and donate monthly to our podcast at any dollar amount and to receive the upcoming reviews of our Lower Deck episodes, please follow us at patreon.com slash The Dura Sisters Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at the Dura Sisters Podcast at gmail.com. Klingon Battle was written by Jerry Goldsmith. Worf's Revenge was written by Arturo Voltaire. How many Romulans does it take to change a light bulb? Two. One to change the bulb, and one to stab him in the back.